Constantine! Dragon Sword! Mastodon! Pterodactyl! Triceratops! Saber Two Tiger! Tyrannosaurus! Yeah! We're good! We're ready to morph into action! Six working together to fight evil! And stop Rita and all her menacing monsters! From destroying our planet Earth! And ruling the universe with evil! Hey everybody, this is Alex. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network. Be sure to head on over to thebatmanuniverse.net to help support the TBU server cost drive, Tim. So do that, Tim. Been doing it every episode. <laughs> every time you say it correctly, Dana, I go ahead and head on over there. <laughs> Good. Good. Um, so this is episode number 121. I, re- I, I realized I haven't been saying the uh, episode numbers, but we're on 121. Well, we're getting so high now, it's kind of you're losing track of the numbers that we're on. We're at 121. It's still kind of hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> well, we made it to 100, which is a milestone. Now we're almost uh, to the like quarter mark of getting to 200. <laughs> do, you, do you think it matters, though? I mean, unless we hit a, a major... A milestone like 150 or you know 200. what there's podcasts that don't care about episode numbers and there's some that do i personally like having the episode numbers just it's a nice way of keeping track of how many you've done a good reminder for especially if you've gone on a while and reached those high like milestones which we did with 100 so i personally like it but i know not everyone cares about it and they just put out the episodes and yeah. just hear it so right but you know it, it, it's almost that time of year, Tim, when we have to pick uh, our World Series That's teams. Right. Yeah, so so we know the Indians are in. Uh, they won the ALCS. Thanks, thankfully, in well, like five. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in five, sorry. They won it in five. Uh, Coco Crisp is on the Indians, so I'm kind yeah, of rooting the for The Indians them. should be thanking the Yankees uh, in Oakland because of Coco Chris hitting some big home runs and Andrew Miller just being unhittable <laughs> and being able to pitch three innings. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it looks like the Cubs and the Dodgers are, go- are going to uh, Game 7 of the, the NLCS. So if the, if the Cubs make it in, mm-hmm. you're picking the Cubs, right? And if the Dodgers are pick, are, are getting in, yeah, who are you going to for the Indians? Oh, okay. So, so I I have the choice of either the Indians or the Dodgers. Then pretty much, yeah. Because either way, you're not you're going to go against me and not go for the Cubs, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know too much about about the Dodgers. I don't really. I I don't know about you, but. I, I I don't really know who's on their team anymore. I know Kershaw's still on the team. I know Aegon mm-hmm. is still on their team. Um, they have a few young players that are being good for them. Uh, Corey Seager, their shortstop. Chuck Peterson, their shortstop. Oh, yeah, and Corey Puig Seager. plays every once in a while. <laughs> he somehow made the postseason roster. Still don't trust, they, they still don't trust nope. him at the plate. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, so as we're recording this um, episode, Game 6... Of the NLCS is going to be starting, and I have to say, with my team, the Yankees, being out of it, this is probably the most nervous I've been for a postseason game without my team actually being in there. Because I just want the Cubs to make it so bad. This this feels like it's the year to finally break the curse, and 
if they make it, I'm just hoping they get to the World Series. If they lose to the Indians, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world because the Indians have a pretty long drought themselves, so it would be cool to see them win also. But you still got to root for the Cubs to go all the way. I mean, come on, 1908 since they won a championship <laughs> over 100 years. How could you not want to see them win unless you, you root for a team where the Cubs are your rivals and you just hate them and don't want to see them win? So I can understand that. But for everyone else, I mean, you just got to root for them. To see a team break a 100-year-old drought would be so awesome to see <laughs> yeah you're right but also i remember the the uh 97 mm-hmm. world series yeah. i think it the was. indians yeah last time the indians yeah in the yeah. ninth inning of was it uh yep. game seven mm-hmm. it was right and they ended up losing it to the yep what was that Marlins? championship uh and I remember that, so I also want uh, the Indians to to make it, just because that I I remember rooting for the Indians back then, and I remember being so hard. <laughs> that wasn't bad. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Ninth inning, yeah. So I don't know. It's exciting. It's exciting to me. Indians, if they, I mean the Indians are in, uh, it doesn't matter to me if the Cubs or the Dodgers make it in. Uh, I think either team will will be good in the world series. It would series. just be such great theater, though, if it's the Cubs and Indians. Two teams who haven't won in forever. One of them finally is going <laughs> to get a title. So it's going to be great to see that yeah. series unfold. Yeah, yeah, you're but, right. And it's two teams that you would never really expect. I mean, if you if you watched baseball in the, in, in the past couple of years, maybe yeah. four or five years, you, you wouldn't expect them to be a uh, World Series Totally, contenders. yeah. Especially the Cubs, they made such a big turnaround, and they're paying off with their yeah. uh, farm system coming up big and signing some good free agents. So, I mean, if they can't yeah. do it with this team, when are they going to do it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, in the next well, hundred yeah. years. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, tonight they have a lead, like a two-run or three-run lead in the eighth inning. I'll be more nervous then if they Uh-oh. if they're losing because you know what happened in 2003. <laughs> Well, also, Dusty Baker isn't, isn't their coach anymore, and he's not going to keep, you know, a tired pitcher out on the mound. Yeah, mind. and I just hope their fielders are on their game, because remember that shortstop booted that easy ground ball <laughs> right, I could have gotten right. out of the whole Bartman yeah. situation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when you're listening uh, to this episode, uh, next Thursday, we'll nose in the World Series. But actually, Game 2 would be over, so... <laughs> By the next time we record our next oh, one, wow. I'll either be real happy that the Cubs are in it or disappointed. Really, you'd be disappointed if the Dodgers made it in? It wouldn't be the worst matchup, Dodgers and Indians, but I'd be disappointed if the Cubs don't make it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think I'd actually, I mean, if the Dodgers made it in, I think I'd, act- I'd actually root for the Dodgers. To make really? It. Yeah, just because um, Dodgers games were the only games that are that were broadcast here. <laughs> uh, I know here in L.A. we can't get any Dodger games unless you have, uh, I forget what cable company, but like it's blocked yeah. out everywhere, which is a big problem. Yeah, and I mean, especially when I was a kid, it was only Dodgers games are broadcast over here unless they're broadcast on, um, you know, yeah. ESPN or something. And I think once I was in high school, they started uh, – we started um, broadcasting Angels games on Fox, and I 
I kind of want the Dodgers to win it. <laughs> <So> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I might be a a secret uh, Dodgers fan just because that was the only team I could watch. I, I totally get that. I mean, when I was a kid, like I saw the local Dodger games, but I also got to see a lot of Cubs games on cable with WGN yeah. and Braves games on TBS. I, I never liked the Braves because they always beat the Dodgers. <laughs> the Dodgers are the team I used to root for as a little kid. <laughs> I wonder if the Braves have a lifetime uh, television deal with TBS because uh, their owners Ted Turner, yeah, the, the owner of uh, I think yeah, so. <laughs> TBS. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, I mean, it, either way, it should be a good I World so. Series, right? I just don't want to see a sweep. I want a good series like this Cubs Dodger one has been. It's always yeah. so much fun when they go at least six games. <laughs> yeah, definitely, but uh, um. Do you think we should get on to our Dark Knight Rises minute-by-minute commentary, Tim? Because I know this is very, very important to our, our, it our podcast. It is probably the second most important part of the podcast after a conversation with Alex and listener feedback. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I was about to say, well, what else is more important? But I forgot, <laughs> I forgot about um, uh, Alex. So for this episode, we're, we're going from minute um, 70 to 71. Um Man, can you believe we've done 70 of these, Tim? <laughs> hey, but we're getting to the good, really good stuff coming up. We're right there. Yeah, hopefully, because... Oh, that that, that whole Miranda uh, Miranda scenes with, with Bruce showing up at the house. I don't know how that we got through that. Episodes, like, I believe. <laughs> and we're going to get a lot of Batman in the next few episodes, so that should be good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the underground scenes, right? Yeah. All right, so uh, just get your HD DVDs, get your um, uh, DVDs, because DVDs are kind of on the out. Um, get your projectors, get your laser discs, get your VHS, get your... Um, beta tapes? Yeah, <laughs> beta. I forgot about beta. <laughs> um, get your beta tapes. And let's watch this. And just queue it up to the 70th minute. And uh, I'm going to give the countdown. So, Tim, are you ready? All right. Three, two, one. Hit play. I love that shot. Batman is on the tower. Oh, yeah. It's like an extra long cape. (laughs) (laughs) And we're in the subway with Catwoman. I remember the shot being one of the... I think they showed an MTV Movie Awards preview. They showed a few new scenes. I remember that one being like one of the earliest news of Catwoman that we got in that. Oh, her sitting on the... Oh. Even though it was short, this is still cool seeing Batman and Catwoman together in a small sequence. It's like, you have to have a little of that in a Batman movie, I think. Where they're not just (laughs) fighting each other all the time. I like what she goes, they're not your average ballers of Batman. like, neither am I. (laughs) <laughs> Little Batman begins nod there, I think. Yeah, with the upside down. And yeah. that's it. We have to wait to continue this fight later on. Oh, no. Oh, well. I mean, at least we're getting to something, and we're getting to the exactly. danger closer and closer. Maybe, just maybe, we might get to the part where they're at the gate next episode. Yeah. Yeah, and plus, too, they, they, they kind of go back, uh, talk back and forth a mm-hmm. lot. And no, then I can't wait. Now I'm getting excited. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, speaking of being excited and movies, um, Tim, 
you've watched Batman Return of the yes, Cape Crusaders. And that'll be our feature topic for this episode. So, Tim, why don't you With tell pleasure. us all about I it? I went to the special screening they had about two weeks ago now on a Monday. And when I got there, unfortunately, it wasn't the most packed <laughs> theater like it was for the killing joke. So that was a little <laughs> disappointing. When I, when I first got there, I got there about 15 minutes before it started. It was maybe just me and four other people there. I was like, oh, man, I hope more people show up. <laughs> which it, oh. which they did, but it still wasn't a packed house. No. But, yeah, going into this movie, I know we talked about the trailer when it came out, how it looked real fun and just capturing the feel of the 60s TV show and it lived up to that. It was exactly what I expected, and I will say even more. There's some stuff that surprised me about it that I really liked. And first off, I got to say, it was a really cool intro. I was expecting, you know, just do a new version of the animated intro that the TV series had, which they did a little bit. But what was cool about this one in the movie is they recreate the classic covers of the comics that the villains first appeared in and Batman. Could you see the Adam West version of Batman doing the same pose as the classic Detective Comics 27. You get the cover of the first with the Riddler, Catwoman, Joker, and Penguin. It's all in the 66 uh, style. So that was pretty cool. So I thought starting off as a nice little nod to classic Batman stories. It was a good way to kick off the movie. And I guess I should say too, if you haven't seen it yet, but it's out now on digital and Blu-ray. I'm going to go into spoilers of the, the plot and what happened in the movie. So just throwing that out there. But in the trailers, you know, it was the four main villains from the show teaming up like the original Batman the movie with Riddler, Penguin, Joker, and Catwoman. So the, in this version, they're teaming up to steal this duplicate ray, and but we don't know what exactly they're using it for. So throughout the course of the movie, we get Batman and Robin chasing them to various locations like that uh, oversized TV dinner factory <laughs> that we got in the trailer, which was a funny sequence. And... There's a, there's a lot of great gags on some of the fights. Of course, they play the classic songs when they're fighting. You got the bam, poof, pow visuals on there, which which was good. And there's little gags, too, where there was one moment where there was a camera that's filming a fight, and it leaned crooked, so it has that feel like the 60s uh, show did. Just little nods like that. And then one of my... That's another thing I really liked about this movie. There was some great jokes and Easter eggs laid out for Batman fans. Not only just the 66 show, but just Batman in general. One of my favorite ones was probably the, one of the first fights where they're confronting all four villains and their thugs fight each other. Uh, Batman's confronting Catwoman. And, you know, she's trying to seduce him, get him to join their side, and he's not having it. But while they're talking, I think it was Penguin who knocks him on the back of the head with his umbrella. And he's dizzy, and he's like in a daze, and he's still staring at Catwoman. And you know what happens when you, someone gets dizzy, they see three versions of the same of the one person they're looking at but in the case of Catwoman she takes the form of the three different actresses that played her so at first he's like that Julie Newmar but then when he gets hit and he's in the daze he sees Lee Wer- Lee Merriweather pop up he sees Arthur Kitt pop up which is a great little gag of referencing the three different actresses that played Catwoman that was really funny and so throughout the course of the movie they find out what that the villains decide to go into space on the space station and that's where they're going to use their uh, duplicate ray where their big scheme is to duplicate earth to where they could just you know rule each one for themselves each one of them will rule a planet typical crazy scheme that the 60s batman tv show would have but yet they never had scale or budget to do something as big as that just go into space which is one of the advantages of doing it in animation where you get to just go further out of the box and do so much more crazy stuff. But just 
expanded that crazy and outlandish motifs that the 66 show is known for. And I ate it all up. It was great. And but one of the big things that happened in the movie is that Catwoman uses this formula to try to get to control Batman to go on their side. And she uh, sprays him with it, but it has no effect, it looks like. But when they're on that space station, this is where it kind of took me for a surprise. This is like in the middle of the movie, and it feels like the ending where, you know, it's going to get all wrapped up. The Riddler, Joker, and Penguin, they turn on Catwoman. They jettison her out into space, but Batman and Robin save her and then bring her back. So the three of them are going to confront uh, Joker, Riddler, and Penguin. So Batman goes to stop them, but he's acting more serious and meaner than he usually is. And before that, he dismissed Alfred out of the Wayne Manor because he let Anne Harriet into their secret uh, book room where they go into the bat poles, which was out of character for that Batman. And then we just seen him act, you know, like I said, more mean, more stern, not at all like the Adam West version of the Batman that we're used to. And one of my favorite parts of the movie, he starts quoting lines from various Batman, <laughs> like classic lines that we've heard. One of them was, you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Says it's all like <laughs> the Joker and Riddler. And then the best one of all is where he's in this fight. He says, this is an operating table, and I'm the surgeon. <laughs> just hearing that and Adam West's voice <laughs> was just so awesome. <laughs> just hearing him say that classic dark line in that Adam West voice <laughs> was just really funny. And Robin and Catwoman get taken back by how uh, more mean this Batman is, because he's not laying any punches or he's not you know holding back he's laying in punches on all the villains doing extreme stuff even threatening to kill them which <laughs> see this version of batman do that it was like oh man, i didn't think they'd go that route but it's it's all fun and it's working really well because it doesn't go too serious or it's turning to a dark movie it's just funny seeing this batman try to be more serious so like i said that when they apprehend the criminals it's like okay the story's over but turns out there's this whole other plot that comes <laughs> to fruition after that which i did not expect and that is as the a drug catwoman's batman with it's becoming more of an effect and he thinks he can do a better job controlling gotham city than the police so what does he do he uses the duplicate ray on himself to make tons of different batmans could becoming commissioner batman chief o'hara batman he's wearing the costumes over his costumes it just looked really funny then you see these batman citizens walking out gotham like as a, a mother a, a shopkeeper just every these different versions of batman making the citizens of gotham so he could be perfect but they're all you know costumes over his original batman costumes <laughs> just so silly and ridiculous and so robin and catwoman decide they have to put a stop to this so their plan is to break out all the different villains that Batman put away from prison. So this is another. This is where the climactic battle takes place, or the movie where you see all these clones of Batman taking on the classic villains of the '66 TV show in one big battle royale, like Bookworm, King Tut, the Maestro, Egghead, all these different villains that you know from the show, just all going at it. It was just really lots of fun. And then, of course, it gets resolved in this typical batman 66 way where it Al, batman and alfred had this plan all along where if he were ever to turn evil and rule the city he would dismiss alfred and alfred would if he ever were to do that alfred would know that that's not batman he would have to f- create the anti-formula formula because so, they batman robin and catwoman had this formula this antidote to cure batman but batman took the anti-anti-formula, so Alfred created the anti-anti-anti-formula, so it's ridiculous like that to give Batman back the normal. So that 
they got that, but then they realized that all this was the plan from the Joker, Penguin, and Riddler to keep Batman busy because they knew he would do that to steal these priceless artifacts. So they stopped them in the end and everything's back to normal. So crazy ridiculous plot, but it was lots of fun. My favorite part was seeing Batman try to act more mean and dark as the 66 version, but it doesn't go quite to that extreme. It was just just really funny and unique to see this version of Batman try to be that way. And it was lots of fun. So I ate all the jokes up. Like I mentioned, great references to past Batman stories, references to the 66 TV show. And I got to say, the voice cast, for the most part, did a great job. They had great actors doing the Joker, Riddler, and Penguin, especially Riddler. Uh, I'm blanking on his name now, but the actor who played him did a great Frank Gorshin <laughs> where he got his laugh down perfectly. The only nitpick I would have was that uh, mainly Julie Newmar, her voice just sounded at some point just a little too old <laughs> for that cat woman who looked so young. It kind of took me out of it a little bit, but it was still, you gotta, if he wants to do it, you got to get the original actress to do the voice, so... Not too much of an argument there, but I did notice that. And Burt Ward as Robin was great. Adam West as Batman, just as you'd expect. And <laughs> Robin just had so many cheesy, holy lines and just corny jokes of him and Batman interacting together. It was just as you'd expect, and it was just a lot of fun. So, yeah, it was great. I was glad I got to see it in the theater. I know I said it before, too, where I was never, I'm not the biggest fan of the 1966 show because how silly it is, but you know what? Over the last few years, I've just come to accept it where we got so many great versions of the Batman that I like. But why not just sit back and enjoy the show for the silliness that it is? And I think this movie did a great job capturing that. The Warner Brothers animation team led by James Tucker knocked it out of the park, I thought. Because, you know, he's a big fan of this era of Batman. This is probably a dream come true for him to work on. So yeah, I, I dug it. It was really, really good. So many of you were on the fence on it and just want to have a fun the, Batman movie that you could just laugh at a lot, I'd highly recommend it. So I'd go ahead and give it a four out of five. It was really enjoyable. I think any Batman fans, like I said, just looking for a good time should check it out. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I mean, it is getting uh, good reviews on, I mean, uh, like like IGN and uh, mm-hmm. GameSpot and stuff. So... Yeah, I think so. You just got to go into it knowing what to expect. And like I said, I wasn't expecting that whole other plot of Batman kind of becoming evil and ruling over Gotham. (laughs) It it was so funny that it worked so well. Just added a new layer to it. But, you know, speaking of movies, I uh, watched... uh, Oh, you did? (laughs) Yeah. How was that? I ended up up renting Mm. it, right? Um. I think you have to play the games, all all of the games, to truly understand what's going on. Because it kind of does a Star Wars thing where it just throws you into the story. Except there's no beginning scroll to give you kind of a little summary of what's going on. There's like no prologue or anything explaining the person's setup, kind of like how the Fellowship of the Ring did. Well, I mean, there kind of is because it's about like these orc guys... Apparently they're from, I don't know if it's outer space or like a different dimension or something, but they open up this portal, this green portal, and they, they come to the, to not Earth, or whatever the name of the content or the, okay, the huh. world is with the humans. And um, it doesn't really make that much sense because you really have to know who the characters are beforehand. And the film doesn't do a very good um, 
uh, way of explaining who these people are. So throughout the entire movie, I didn't know who who the uh, who the characters were. Like Ben Foster is like this wizard kind of guy, and I don't really understand how he's involved with the people in this big city. I think it's called Stormwind. Um, yeah, you really have to know who the characters are, and you got to know the story of Warcraft before you. I mean, I guess you got to play the games to know who who all these people are and what the story is before this, because it, it like I said, it just tries to throw you in, and you know, it doesn't do a real good um, explanation on how. I mean, what's going on? That's kind of disappointing. You don't. I mean, you don't want to go into yeah. a movie not knowing what's going on and being lost in it. But were the action scenes at least cool? Yeah, the action scenes were good, and the CGI okay. was really good the the orc cgi uh yeah that, that that that's definitely a positive in this movie but um as for the story i i just didn't know what was going on and there's so many places that they go to that um i learned later were big parts of the the warcraft game and games and world of warcraft and all that stuff so i mean i've never played any of the yeah, warcraft games um and it's 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 just not a very good movie. <laughs> um, even like the act, like some parts parts uh, with with the humans, the the acting wasn't very. Um, and like I said, I I don't know who these characters are, and apparently they had like this, I guess like a friendship beforehand, like or they knew of each other beforehand before the movie started. And it it just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's it's if you're watching, let's say, The Dark Knight Rises, and then and then you turn it on, and the first scene that you see is Batman in the cave. You know, it's you just pretty much start out of nowhere, and you got to figure yeah. out where to piece everything together yeah, for yourself. Yeah, I, I don't really understand what the orcs are trying to do. I guess they're trying to, like, come to... I, I mean, I think that their homeland or whatever is is bad or something and decided to uh, go into another world to live. But you never get an explanation on why they're leaving. <laughs> okay. Or why they want to yeah. leave. And there's... The, the, again, there's no explanation on why uh, the humans don't want them there. Besides, I guess, but 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 I mean, still, like, I don't know. It, it, it was just kind of a letdown, you know, because I thought it was going to be better, but uh, it's it's just not <laughs> a like good. You should have saw Batman Return to Crusaders instead. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should have done my homework and <laughs> play craft games. That's a lot you gotta go through, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because there's Warcraft One, there's Warcraft Two, there's Warcraft World of Three, Warcraft, which is a big one. And there's World of Warcraft. Oh, did you did so, all yeah. that before you saw the movie? You did put invested all those hours, and you saw it, and you were still disappointed. I invested hundreds yeah. of hours for this. <laughs> you still don't know what's going on. <laughs> so yeah. Um, if I had to give it a rating, I'd probably give it a one and a half out of five. Well, unfortunately, I heard a lot of negative stuff about it, so I'm not too surprised that 
you score it that low, but yeah, yeah. But on the same hand, I can understand um, if you were a fan of World of Warcraft or a fan of the Warcraft games. I'd understand how you would make sense of what's going on and you'd be invested in that story because I, I, I think the director just or the whoever wrote the story or the filmmakers, I think they wanted to do, you know, a story where fans of of warcraft would would love yeah, you know, you know, i'm not invested or part of the warcraft communities i'm not sure even how they reacted to the movie if they yeah. liked it or if they kind of felt the same way the general audience did so yeah i'm curious if i like the warcraft fandom view yeah i wonder i wonder how they they uh, i wonder if they liked it i mean i'm sure there's enough there for warcraft fans to love about this movie but for someone who hasn't played the Warcraft games, that there's just not enough there, because I think I think that's one movie where you need to know everything. And that shouldn't be the case <laughs> for a movie franchise just starting yeah. to kick off. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, like let's take Rogue One as an example, right? We kind of know the story. I mean, we kind of know how we get to, uh, uh, what I uh, hope. But we don't really know what's going on or what happens before Rogue One. But still, I'm sure there's enough in the movie for oh, everyone totally. to like, right? Not last trailer is any indication. Yeah, <laughs> there's going to be tons of love. And to understand the story. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, uh, yeah, it's probably one and a half out of five. Just because of the, the orc CGI and some of the battle scenes were really Well, cool. I guess Work doesn't dethrone the original Street Fighter movie as the greatest video game movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. I mean, I mean, is that the highest rated? <laughs> Who knows? Movie? It might be. Uh, because I can't think of another one that was really good. That movie's so bad. I just love it so much, though. It's one of those bad movies yeah. that's good. <laughs> yeah. well, we'll see how Assassin's Creed. I don't wonder if that's going to break the. Oh yeah. Bad video game movie curse. Not about that. We'll see. I've I've heard before that the stuff where it takes place past is not going to be a lot. It's not going to be the main focus on where the movie takes place in and if that is true that's going to be disappointing because that's what everyone wants to see <laughs> yeah and that's the whole point exactly, of yeah. those games but it comes out like a week after Rogue One I don't know if that's <laughs> such a smart idea <laughs> uh oh uh oh <laughs> no that, that nope, that's I not a good idea so. to... um, but anyway uh, I guess we can move on to our news yes, and discussion topics Okay, and our first uh, piece of news is the the image of Mera from Justice League. And I have to say, and I've told you this before, Tim, her uh, looks like the uh-huh. new Power Rangers. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's a bad thing, though. Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it's a bad thing, but it kind of Yeah, I get does, exactly right? what you're saying, especially the how yeah. Rita Pulsa looks in the new movie. Her green costume was pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, <that>. yeah. <laughs> but again, I think that's a good representation of Mera from the comics and animated movies and series we've seen. And it's like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, they're doing it again. Just another DC Comics character being ripped straight from the page and being brought to screen. Just looking exactly like I'd want her to look and how I'd picture her. I think she looks great. And it's, it's funny, though, when I first saw the image, it was because uh, you sent out the tweet on our Twitter handle on Batfans Podcast with the image. And I took yeah. that and I tweeted it on my own uh, personal Twitter account saying how much I think it looks good. And then 
our old buddy PJ pointed out to me that, oh, I loved how you tweeted out the brighter version that was made of this image because the one Zack Snyder tweeted out was more darker and gray tone. I'm like, really? This was the first image I saw. I didn't know if there was like one, the other one looked darker. Yeah. Yeah, me too. That was the first image that I, that I saw of me. Uh, I got the picture and I posted it on our uh, yeah, so when I saw the original one, I was like, oh, okay, I know what PJ's talking about. <laughs> it is that typical, more darker grill <laughs> that Zack Snyder likes to use. But it, either way, I think I mean, yeah. the tone and the coloring of this image isn't, you know, the main focus of it. This is how great Mira looks <laughs> in this uh, sneak peek shot that we got of her. So I'm good. Yeah, she and and she does look good. Yeah. Uh, Amber Heard looks really good in that, in the uh, Mira costume. Yeah, so, wonder how much of a big role she's going to have in the movie and if she's going to be already be married to Aquaman or if this is going to be where they first meet and this starts their relationship. That should be interesting. I think it'd be better if she's already uh, with yeah, Aquaman. Yeah, I kind of agree. Be, there's probably going to be enough stories yeah. they're going to try to set up with bringing the Justice League together. That, that's probably a, a subplot they don't really need to explore as far as getting their relationship started. But we'll yeah. Um, our next piece of news is specifically yes, is. towards that. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm guessing. But the the Justice League is going to meet the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in January. Yeah, we, there was rumors about this, I think, during New York Comic Con, but nothing really came out of it. But when they announced it, I was like, oh, cool. It ended up being true because yeah, I know how, you know how much I love the Batman TMNT crossover. And uh, Power Rangers isn't quite on the level of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is for me, but again, I watched it as a kid. Yeah, it's cheesy, it's campy, but I always still like the concepts behind Power Rangers and their powers and the Zords and all that stuff. And their costumes still look cool, so the fact that they're going to be having a crossover with the Justice League I think is awesome. And just like how I went into the Batman Team and T crossover, I'm not expecting it to be this great, emotional, compelling story, but the Ninja Turtle ones ended up being that, which made it even more awesome. But I'm just looking for a good time with the Justice League. Of course they're going to fight each other. That has to happen, because that always happens in a crossover. And then, you know, they're going to team up. So it should be fun just seeing these two franchises partner up, because more so than I think Ninja Turtles, I never imagined that the Power Rangers and DC Comics characters would be teaming up for a crossover at all. So it should be a lot of fun. And I really like the that Tom Taylor is the writer behind it because he did a great job with the Injustice comics when the first game came out. So I think he's going to do a great job with the Power Rangers and the Justice League. And I believe the brief description was that there is a teleportation error that the Power... Because, you know, they like to teleport and get around <laughs> to places they need to go. I think they have a malfunction and then Zack, the Black Power Ranger, gets transported into the DC universe and Batman think takes them captive. So we know right off the bat, they're not going to get along right away. So the only question I have is how are they going to deal with Superman? Cause if power Rangers formed the Megazord, I would think Superman would be able to take it out pretty easily. <laughs> He's taking down big monsters and robots before. So I wonder how they're going to deal with that, but we shall see. It'll just be fun seeing all the characters go up with, against each other. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to come out in January, like January, something like that. So, or January 11th, and just going to have these different variation covers, which they're going to team like for all the variation covers is going to have a Justice League member and a Power Ranger on it. And pairing just seems kind of weird, not how you would expect them to be. Because on one cover it'd be Batman with Pink Ranger, Cyborg with the Blue Ranger, Flash and the Black Ranger, 
the Green Lantern with the Yellow Ranger, Superman with the Green Ranger, and Wonder Woman with the Red Ranger. I thought they tried to sync them up more color coordinated, like how Green Lantern be with the Green Ranger, uh, the, the Flash be with the Red Ranger, stuff like that. But they didn't go that route, so it's kind of interesting why they paired those variant covers that way. So, yep, uh, you'll be sure I'll be able to uh, reviewing it on our episodes when it comes out and see if it matches up what I got with Teen and the Mutant Ninja Turtles and Batman. But I think it's gonna be fun. I don't understand the Power Rangers thing. <laughs> <laughs> you never watched it as a kid, I take it? I did. I I even watched the movies. Oh, but, okay. yeah. um, <laughs> I could go back and watch the TV shows and, you know, enjoy it for what it is, but the movies, uh, those are hard to sit through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember the White Ranger. Um, did any of you... He, he used to have a sword, right? He had a sword the, with the, a lion head on it that yeah. talked to him. Yeah, that thing was so cool. Called Saba. <laughs> when I was a kid, yeah, it was man. I recently we rewatched maybe about a year or two ago on Netflix. We watched the whole series. Yeah, and it's funny. When you're a kid, you don't notice these things. But in season two, when they brought the White Ranger in, he yeah. was from a in Japan. That White Ranger was from a completely different series than what they were taking from the original Power Rangers. So they had to edit together him with the original Rangers and when they're in the Zords in a way that as a kid you don't notice it but when you watch it again you can see how heavily edited it is where they're not on the same screen together in certain shots and they just go from a shot to see him, him with the other Rangers and fighting a monster that's from the other series and just editing them all together where it looks pretty choppy so it's like this went to so much length to try to keep the brand and look of Power Rangers going for three years before they had to change it and move on to other series. It's just it's <laughs> funny to see how much you didn't notice how much they had to edit to get these shows out there when they combined two different series. So the White Ranger was part of a different show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> As a kid, it worked, when you watch it again, it's like, oh, okay, I see how much they had to edit here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that isn't why didn't they just include the White Ranger in Power Rangers? What they should have done is just move on from Power Rangers to whatever to the show that the White Ranger was included in, so they wouldn't have to do all this editing. But I think yeah. they just wanted to keep the look familiar to those because it was so popular. They didn't want to change it right away, I think, and they just wanted to kind of oh. have the best of both worlds. Because <laughs> I think the original Japanese version of Power Rangers, Zoo Ranger, was only like 50 episodes. But once Power Rangers became so popular, Saban Entertainment actually, I think, uh, paid and hired the production in Japan to create new episodes of the Power Rangers just so they can use in the U.S. just to make more of them. And then eventually, I guess, that stopped and they had to, they tried to edit it with the Right Ranger TV shows. And then I think eventually you just had to move on to another series and it's still yeah. going on now, <laughs> which is crazy. So, so I mean... The Power Rangers like Pokemon, where they just keep adding, like, uh, you know how like Pokemon originally started with like, mm-hmm. but but there's like, like hundred something. Yeah. See, I, the Power Rangers, I think for so do they do the same thing with the color. The Power Rangers, I think, before there was like a continuity that they followed, but I, in one of the series. They finally ended the main continuity, and then I think each season becomes a different series and its own continuity. At least that's what I think. I'm not sure. I haven't seen any of those other shows, so I'm not exactly sure. But kind of 
but then they had this big team up like a year or two ago where all these different Rangers from all the different series were together, so I really don't know what's going on. It's probably a confusing universe if you try to link it all up together, but I'm not a Power Ranger historian, so right. I'm not exactly sure. I'll just stick with the original one. So, yeah, so let me get this straight. Right now, currently, there is a Red Ranger, there's a Black Ranger, there's a Pink Ranger, there's a Yellow Ranger, and what color am I forgetting? Green Green Ranger. And. And the white ranger. See, every show, new show, they they mix up the colors. Like there could be no green ranger, there could be no black ranger, or there was a green ranger minus a blue ranger. It kind of changes, but the original one, it was always six: red, black, blue, yellow, pink, and green. Those are like, yeah. There's a blue one. Those are like the ones that that most people remember since it was the first show. Oh, I see. (laughs) That's your power of history, isn't it? Anyway, we can get into our conversation with Alex slash listener feedback. All right, so Alex says, what is that, Tim? (laughs) Was, uh, oh, okay, that homies. That sounds about right. Uh, Awesome, awesome episode, as always, guys. And also, as always, I love the Simpsons intros. I love all your intros, but it's tough to beat the (laughs) Simpsons. The Darwin Cook one was wonderful, but... So, which of the babies is your favorite? <laughs> I don't know, the Alan Moore one. Everything, <laughs> <laughs> everything about that clip has me cracking up. I got a big, stupid grin on my face right now. I don't think there's any need to worry about Justice League because all you need to do is just check the reviews or wait for Tim to tell you how it is. And then when it, be, when it comes to review time, just really disagree with things Tim says and everyone will be none the wiser. <laughs> His reviews are always more enjoyable anyways. Just listen and let your imagination go wild like I do. Or just ask Rob to buy the toys and hit them to and hit them together once in a while because it'll be the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I made sure he showed off his acting talents uh, through this. Uh, these pretzels are making me thirsty audition. So it's all <laughs> That's good. That's right, me Rob. Did do the whole George Costanza. These pretzels are making me thirsty on an old episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed hearing your review for season two of the Telltale uh, Batman game. Uh, it, it wasn't actually season two; it was episode two of season one. Yeah, get this right, Alex. Uh, Alex, but... <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys make it sound really interesting. I learned a lot about you based on your choices. <laughs> a lot. About you. <laughs> you shouldn't have tried to kiss her, Tim. Now she's got you. It should have just said game over right there because of that. <laughs> there should be an option where you can upload Dane's Batman so you can shake his head on the game over screen. Uh, and you had your chance. You could have saved Harvey instead, but now she knows she's complete, got you completely wrapped around her finger. Let's just hope it pays off. Let us just. Then again, hope. maybe I have her right where I want her. Huh? Never to think she has me, but in fact, <laughs> I got her. Yep. Um, also, as I said before, I'm really crossing my fingers for the upcoming Tom King Bane arc. From what I've seen, he hasn't been written well since Chuck Dixon, but I want this to be good so I can talk to you guys of, uh, about Bane with pride. Tom King has been so hyped as a writer, and I'll be so happy if Bane gets a new fan base. 
I love Bane. Uh, I want to talk about him. Bane, guys. <laughs> Seen that Bane. a lot lately. This is Bane's chance to have a big comeback, and hopefully it works out. It's off to a yep. good start, so I'll just leave it at that till we get to our reviews, but it's it's promising. Um, and always Alex has questions for us, and his first question is... Dr. Tain, Dr. Dayton and Dr. Tim, <laughs> hello again. How, in your professional opinions, would you rehabilitate the good folks in Arkham Asylum? Pick as many dudes or dudettes as your busy schedule affords and give us your treatment plans. I think Joker needs a pad- paddling, but I ain't got no quack training. I do know that Condiment King just needs to find a hot dog queen. <laughs> He'd be fixed up good. Oh, man. Oh, Alex, now you got us helping Arkham inmates as doctors. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Rehabilitating them. I know on um, or in um, Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum, they give uh, Two-Face. Oh, what do they give him? I can't remember. I think it's like a, I think it's either dice or it's um, it's cards to replace the coin. To right. yeah, to replace the coin. So it's it's not fifty-fifty. Uh, you know, you have a more chance. You have uh-huh. more chances to get something else. So yeah, probably that for two phase. Um, See, my plan would be easy. Just show all of them everything of Star Wars. And that'll make him rehabilitated and have okay. a better outlook on life. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I can't really think of Especially, anything else. See, this is one of those typical Alex questions where not enough time to think of deep, insightful answers for it because you really got to think about for each villain <laughs> what you would do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his uh, second question is if you're transported to Gotham right now how long how long do you survive what are you going to what are you doing to survive so long um not <laughs> going outside at least not going outside at <laughs> night you gotta have a curfew set for yourself yeah night. yeah um since you've made it clear to us multiple times Tim that you don't see Darth Vader or Magneto as real villains I'm terrified to learn <laughs> what you do terrified I tell well, you if you're moving to Gotham you got fire to go a big reason would be, you know, you know, Batman's there. You got to have that hope and trust that he'll be there to protect you. And like I said, won't be the smartest things to stay out super late at night. But uh, you would know that Batman's there to hopefully have your back, and maybe even seek out Batman. <laughs> try to, you know, he'll get mad if you try to become your own vigilante and have him out. But I think you just got to have that trust that Batman will be there to save the day. And just, but you got to at the same time do your part not to do yeah. stupid things <laughs> to get in these situations <laughs> that a lot of Gotham citizens would do like if the Joker announces a parade on TV to give you free money like it did in Batman 1989 don't go to that it's not going to end well be smart <laughs> um, yeah so so pretty much don't go outside and um, I know some supermarkets you can go online and order your yeah, groceries Amazon Fresh you just got to do that uh, through there yeah so just do that. Um, you can pay all your bills online. Um, yeah, so, so so just don't go outside. You're, you got to be my... <laughs> a hermit living in Gotham, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the second question is, 
if you're transported to Gotham right now, I mean, uh, sorry, excluding Rocky, since we all know he's Dane's absolute favorite character in the whole wide world, what's your top five favorite movie characters? For me, Michael Corleone, The Godfather Part 1, 2, and 3, good version. <laughs> is there a good version of Godfather? <laughs> I just keep hearing how bad it is all the time. Right? <laughs> Uh, um, two, George Bailey, It's a Wonderful Life. And three, or three, Jeff Smith, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I guess Washington. Alex is a big Jim Stewart fan. Never knew that. Number four, Aragorn. It's Aragorn, Dane. Is that what you said? Aragorn, <laughs> sorry. Aragorn, uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, he was kind of Mamsie Pamsy in comparison to the He Man in the book. <laughs> I will obviously still love uh, this take. Uh, five, Lord Vader. <laughs> no, you got to say it how we wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lord <Yeah>. Vader. <laughs> Lord Vader. There. Um, well, that's a loud one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about the sound. Right as you but, said uh, Lord Vader, that's what it became uh, really loud. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lord Vader. That's how he uh, spelt it. Um, I tease because I love uh, Tim. Tim, how can I not be a fan when I listen to such glorious podcasts as the saga uh, continues? A good thank you, Alex. Alex. Appreciate that you listen both to my podcast and that you're not sick of my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'd listen to whatever either one of you guys talk about just because you're really cool guys. Um baseball stupid, <laughs> but I love hearing you guys talk about it every week. I sit on a Jedi, though, with their, lying, with their lying to accomplish good and all the other shenanigans, especially Jedi mind tricks. How is that a good thing? <laughs> Manipulating weaker minds. Not only is it messed up, but it's a cop-out. It's not nearly as lame as linear time travel, but I don't dig that. Jerkies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Is a better name for <laughs> Never them. heard that before. No, Jerkies. Jerkies. <laughs> better name for them. Obi- is... Obi-Wan Kenobi, Master Jerky. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, so, Tim, excluding Rocky, what is your top five favorite ca- movie so characters? Can I pick three of them from Star Wars? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Luke, Obi-Wan, Vader, slash Anakin are going to be in my three they just have to be and then four I'm going to keep it in the Lucasfilm family Indiana Jones and five would Batman be a cop <laughs> yeah I can't do that. that there's too many for Batman so yeah. I'm going to go Lord of the Rings route like uh, Alex did but I'm going to go I'm going to go Legolas I really like Legolas in the movies I know a lot of people didn't like how they tried to make him too cool than how he was in the books but He's a character who doesn't say much but got the job done. So I always like that about him. Yeah, and I was reading that uh, Legolas has nothing to do in, or he's not even in oh, no, The yeah, Hobbit. Oh, no, totally added on in the movie. <laughs> yeah, they just put him in there. Yeah, That's kind of weird. I liked it. I still thought yeah. it worked. He had to be doing something at that time. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, the top three is, of course, Star Wars characters. So uh, Luke... Ahsoka and uh, Qui-Gon and four I'm going to go in the same categories as Tim so four would probably be uh, the bird from Lord of the Rings 
the one that saves Gandalf. He, he, yeah, and saves uh, uh, Frodo and Sienna. The Eagles, right, right, the Eagles, because those are underrated characters, if you really think about it, because they save, they're, they're the ones that save yeah, the much. <laughs> I know there's a joke saying, too, how I mean, can they walk all the time when they just easily ride on Eagles and get some order <laughs> like that and drop the ring? <laughs> well, there's a giant eye in this guy. Yeah, right? he didn't want to shoot him down, I guess. It's the, it's the uh, bad guys yeah, see everything, right? Sauron, right. I forgot his name, but it's, underrated characters characters in that in those movies in those books because everybody thinks about Legolas everybody thinks about Frodo and Sam everybody thinks about Aragorn um, but nobody <laughs> thinks about those eagles uh, they, they, none of them or a lot of them would not have survived was it for those eagles that's for darn sure yes so they are heroes of that book <laughs> um, and number five um just watched the movie recently, Tim. Uh, Chief Brody uh, is my fifth. Yeah, that's a good choice. Well, I'm not really sure you don't want to yeah. pick Hoagie from Jaws of Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> or Mario Van Peebles' character. <laughs> Who dies in one version and survives in the other version. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that movie. I don't think I've ever heard of that. The whole ending chain changing in different versions. <laughs> Uh, and it doesn't affect anything either. Just a side character who <laughs> survives, yeah. even though there's no way he can <laughs> possibly survive. All right, and Alex ends his email by saying, "Take care, Lex, Alex, Lex, a Alex, whatever that <laughs> Lex, a Alex, a Lex." <laughs> Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, thank you, Alex, for email. We always enjoy reading them, and you've stumped us again with your qu- with yeah. all three of your questions. It's been a few episodes so, since we were stumped on one, but that Arkham one was a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so do you want to yep. read uh, Jordan's email? Right. Jordan says, okay. "Hey, Tim and Dane, that was a pretty sweet behind the scenes video for Justice League. It wasn't anything too revealing, but it's always cool to see stuff like that." The actors look like they're having a great time on set, so I think that bodes well for their on-screen chemistry with one another. I've taken some more time to think about the Suicide Squad extended cut. As I said in a previous email, I liked the movie, but didn't love it. I doubt 13 minutes will be enough to sway my opinion, but I'll always take more of something I already liked, so I'm eager to see what those minutes hold. The problem will be if the extended cut is a superior version of the film. They should be releasing the best version of the movies in theaters. That wasn't the case with Batman v Superman, although I did love the theatrical version anyway. When you watch an extended cut, ideally you should think the extra footage is cool, but also be able to understand why it was left on the cutting room floor. If that is the case with Suicide Squad, then that's awesome, and it doesn't bother me if the extended cut trend continues with DCEU movies. But if we continue to have to wait several months after the theatrical releases to see the best version of these movies, then I have a real issue with that. Yeah, I would agree, Jordan. I mean... It seems like these extended cuts are reactionary than to just being some extra for the fans because there are apparently better versions out there. And, and I kind of have to say, I think that's going to be the case with Suicide Squad. It is going to be a better version with those extra, at least with the Joker stuff anyway. He's not going to feel so much like an afterthought how he was in the theatrical cut. At least that's what I'm expecting it to be. But Yeah, yeah, but it's it's 
It's only 13 minutes. Yeah, 13 so. minutes, like, I think it uh, end up being a lot, though, when you think about it, because scenes sometimes aren't that long. Oh, yeah, you're right. If if, if they, were, you know, put in, you know, a one-minute exactly. clip here, a one-minute clip there. Yeah, right I just think there. it's going to improve the Joker stuff, really, and Joker and Harley in general, but not the overall plot with their mission and Enchantress and all that. I think that's still going to be a nagging issue about this this being an overall weak story for them to go on their first mission but if we get more cool stuff from the Joker it's going to improve it for me so we'll find out in a few weeks I kind of have a feeling that it's all going to be Joker it sounds like it 13 minutes hearing how much that there was and that was on the cutting room floor with him so right but Jordan continues saying I saw Batman Returns to Cape Crusaders in theaters and then a second time when it came out on digital let me just begin to say that Batman 66 isn't one of my preferred iterations of Batman. I went in with that in mind, though, so I just took the movie for what it was, and I enjoyed it pretty well. It captures the tone of the series quite well, and it was pretty great to hear Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar repraise their roles. They were clearly able to do some things in the movies they weren't able to do in the TV series because of budget slash lack of special effects, which was cool. The plot takes an unexpected twist, which is quite interesting, so it adds another element to the movie that the trailers didn't give away. Also, there are some pretty fun references to other incarnations of Batman, although I'm still a little bitter that they threw shade at one of them. Yeah, so it sounds like Jordan and me are on the same page with Batman Return of the Great Crusaders, but I would thought at the end there where he says they threw shade at one of them. I must have missed that, because I didn't pick up anything where they were kind of making fun of one of the references, so Jordan... Let me know which reference that was, and maybe it'll jog my memory to see what uh, part it was in the movie that made you think that, because I'm, I'm real curious, because I didn't pick up on that. But glad you liked the movie like I did. And he goes on to say, I just read my comics for the week, Justice League number 7 and Batman number 9. Spoilers for both in the next two paragraphs. So if you haven't read your comic yet, hold off on <laughs> listening to this part of Jordan's email. He goes, in Justice League, I thought State of Fear was a good bit better than the Brian Hitch's first arc, The Extinction Machines. It helped that it was only two issues, since my primary complaint about the first arc was that it dragged out too long. The whole idea of the Justice League having the worst fears accentuated by a villain is pretty interesting to me. It's like Scarecrow on a grander scale. I like how Jessica saves the team, and I think it made for a compelling reason for her to quit the Justice League, as she has now, as she has now felt all their greatest fears. It seems like it would be hard to continue to fight alongside them after experiencing that. I do wonder if she really is gone from the title for good, or if we'll see her again in the near future. It'd be surprising if the romance they were developing between her and Barry didn't go anywhere. The highlight of issue 7 for me was the conversation between Superman and Batman, where Batman lays out why the deaths of their respective parents were really quite different. 100% agree with you on everything about the Justice League comic, Jordan. The first arc was, was pretty weak but the State of Fear one was a lot better, and yeah, that Batman-Superman confrontation was pretty cool, so I totally agree with you on that one. And hopefully it's, the next arc they have going continues to be good, because that, that first one was pretty disappointing, almost to a point where I might be dropping the book, but the State of Fear got me back on track, so made me invested in the story again, so we'll see what the next one holds. But as for Batman number 9, Night of the Monster Man is over. I thought it was just okay. So we are back to Tom King absolutely killing it. I really enjoyed another very touching scene between Bruce and Claire at the beginning, and then we jump right into him recruiting his team to go to Santa Prisca. I'm very intrigued by the villains he picked out. I feel like he wouldn't recognize all the pre- progress Arnold Wesker, 
since when did they add an L to his last name, <laughs> as made in ridding himself of Scarface's influence, unless he had a really good reason. The highlight of this issue for me was the reveal of Catwoman, though, so I'm glad she's going to be the second lead in the title going forward. And the killing joke illusion Batman makes when he first walks into her cell is amazing. Also, there was some pretty impressive Batman detective work on display in that issue when he deduces that Punch is impersonating Gordon. So yeah, we'll get into all that stuff when we do our review, but pretty much in agreement. Uh, great picks on the, what Batman Beyond villains you like to see in, live, in a live-action movie. I also wish Blight was in more episodes of the animated series, because I loved him in Season 1. I always thought Ink had a really cool design and awesome powers, but in terms of her story, she wasn't as compelling to me as some of the other villains. However, if they could craft a great story around her in a live-action film, I'd be all for that. I just got done watching another binge-watch of Young Justice, and it was amazing as always. I hold Young Justice in as high as regard as Tim holds Batman the Animated Series. It's my all-time favorite DC show. I love the wide range of DC characters that are featured. It has excellent character development. There are so many exciting storylines, and there is a preferred mix of seriousness and fun. Because of that, I figured I'd drop a reminder here for everybody to hashtag keep bringing YJ. <laughs> I think I remember Tim saying he's seen it, but I don't know if Dane has. There's still a chance for a third season to be made, but fans have got the show support. Yeah, Young Justice was awesome, cut too short, along with Green Lantern, the animated series. <laughs> if those two shows could come back, that would be great. But, Dane, have you seen some of Young Justice yet? I know when it was first on, I don't think you had a chance to. No, I didn't. It's one of those shows you got to put on like your checklist of shows to watch because <laughs> it is as good as its reputation really? has been for since it aired back in geez, 2010 now. I know. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't think it was that old, okay. but yeah. So okay. one of these days you got to watch it. I, I will. hope you guys both have have and had a wonderful, see what I did there, <laughs> Wonder Woman Day on Friday. I'm still thinking about how I'm going to celebrate, but I'm leaning towards rewatching the 2009 Wonder Woman animated film. Which is one of the, still the one of the best DC animated movies, but I personally didn't do too much for Wonder Woman, but I did see the whole thing of her becoming like an ambassador of the UN, the UN, which was pretty cool with Gal Gadot and Linda Carter, Patty Jenkins all there to have that uh, distinction for her, which is pretty cool. And that it's being celebrated that big of a yeah. way. Yeah. And Jordan has some questions for us. He goes, "What is your favorite Batman film score? Mine is Mask of the Phantasm, hands down." Hearing the animated series theme with vocals, including during the opening credit sequences, gives me chills every time. The music in the Bruce and Andrea scene is beautiful, and the animated series theme when Bruce dons the cow for the first time is epic too. I also love that uh, Tia Carey song, I Never Even Told You. Yeah, it's hard (laughs) not to agree with the animated series one, but for Phantasm, and just the whole animated series soundtrack in general, but... Jordan did specify film score, so if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with uh, Danny Elfman's score for Batman 89. Not only because it gave us the definitive, iconic batman theme music, but just the score in general, I think, in that movie is really good. In particular, the music that plays when Batman is driving Vicky Vale back to the Batcave in the Batmobile in the forest. I love that theme song, and then it's just another moments that play out throughout the movie I think captures when it's not a print song it captures the mood of the movie really well so and again that theme song is just so iconic that I have to give that the best Batman film score so that'll be mine what about you Dane um I definitely agree with the Mask of the Phantasm uh, uh, soundtrack 
Um, hmm. Yeah, I'm probably just going to go with that one. Mask of the Phantasm. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> like, like I said, it's so good. Yeah. But I just had to give the little edges of the Batman 89 for what it created and set the tone for it for future <laughs> Batman music scores. Right. And his second question is, with the reveal of the first image of Amber Heard as Mera, which I think looks terrific, I'm curious how much Mera and Atlantis you guys think we'll see in Justice League. Atlantis is one of the things in the movie I'm most excited for because it'll be like nothing we've ever seen before. My best guess is that Mera will have a similar size role in the movie as Commissioner Gordon, and maybe we'll see her in Atlantis with Aquaman in a couple of scenes. I wonder if we'll see her interact with any of the other leaguers, or if any of the other leaguers will go to Atlantis at any point. Yeah, so kind of what we're talking about before when we were talking about her image, I I think it would be kind of, or at least the way they're going for it, maybe we're going to see the other characters in the universe of the main members of the Justice League. Like Jordan mentioned, we'll see Gordon. We'll probably see Lois Lane for Superman, and then for Aquaman we're going to see Mara. So have show the little corners of each Justice League member's universes. But I'm sure they can't do it for everyone. I'm sure we'll get it with Cyborg and his father. I don't know who we'll get for Flash, but because he's kind of on his own. But I think hopefully we do see the Justice League members go to Atlantis because, like you said, Jordan, it'd be something we haven't seen before, and would be cool to see all the heroes in that environment. So it's going to be interesting. I don't think she's going to have a huge role, but probably out of the other supporting characters, she'll probably have the most. Probably more so than Gordon, I think. Yeah, it it would make sense for her. Um to interact with the other Justice League members. Um, but, like, on that same note, I don't think Commissioner Gordon and um, Lois would really work situation. I feel like Mera would work better uh, in those kinds of situations. So Yeah, I'd agree. She'd be able to, you know, keep her own, yeah, too, I'm, if there's any battles that are going on there. But Gordon and yeah. Lois wouldn't be able to, so... Yeah, because I don't know how many times when I was watching Batman v Superman, um, I was wondering why is Lois there? You know, <laughs> I mean, especially the the big fight scene at the end. It's it's kind of like why is Lois yeah, there again? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, uh, so so yeah, I I think out of all of these other characters, I think um, Marrow would match more with the with the Justice League. Um, Commissioner Gordon, not so much because he's a commissioner. <laughs> he's supposed to be doing that kind of work, and maybe, maybe we could see him shoot down a parody with or Batman. Something. <laughs> <laughs> maybe interacting with Batman on the side or something. Yeah, we know we got in that know? rooftop scene with him and the other members of the Justice League, but we'll see if there'll be more. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, I definitely agree that Marrow would would be best with uh, the Justice League. Yeah, so that's it for Jordan's email. He just says best, Jordan. So thanks, as always, for sending an email, Jordan, and for your questions. All right, so we can move on to um, what we saved the worst for last. <laughs> <laughs> and by that, I mean we, we have to read Mark's email. So Mark says, hey, Tim and Dane. So the Cubs, what a series. Russell and Rizzle's bat coming alive. Hopefully puts the nail in the coffin of America's favorite bandwagon. As you just proved in the beginning of this episode, you're jumping on that bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. 
uh, Javi Baez has been such a treat to watch these playoffs. I've been tracking his de- his development since we drafted him, and a great and it's great to see him having such uh, uh, such. You know, I gotta say, anyway, that is a great feeling when because that doesn't happen a lot where you follow someone who's drafted, see him oh, develop. Wow. Uh, AT and T. You just heard that. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that. I don't know how, did that just pop on your phone or something? When you're reading the email, because like you went from the email to that really quick. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I have a alert on my uh, on my computer oh, okay. uh, for CNN. And it just popped up. Yeah, so it seems like they're gonna AT&T is now gonna own DC, <laughs> or at least you know gonna be the main owner for it now. But I don't know if it's gonna have that big of effect on decisions moving forward. But yeah. But they it. are the owners now, which is no more a Time Warner company, I guess. Or I was going to say a Time Warner company by AT&T now on every copyright thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like the Los Angeles yeah. Angels of Anaheim. DC Comics and Time Warner and AT&T. <laughs> <laughs> no, what, I, what I was saying, now, what Mark said about following Javi Baez, that rarely happens where you follow yeah. someone who's drafted and then see them have success. So hopefully you could keep that on throughout his career and you could say you know I was there the day he got drafted and remember the day he got drafted that's kind of what I'm doing now with the Yankees catcher Gary Sanchez and their right fielder Aaron Judge hopefully they'll pan out to be as good as they were in the limited playing time they had this year but I totally get what Marcus saying where it is a good feeling when you follow someone from the very beginning of being drafted I wish I could say I, I, I've done that <laughs> they just keep getting <laughs> traded being an, yeah, being an A's fan they get traded for for other minor leaguers, uh, st- straight straight out of the draft, seems like. Or if not, they keep them in uh, single layer double ball for yeah. <laughs> for years. <laughs> um, but he says, anyways, this is a Batman podcast. The Mara picture was pretty cool, and I feel DC is doing a better job of a slow burn in promoting the upcoming movies. I read the most recent Batman, and I'm excited. Tom King, Tom. King doing a Bane arc is going to be fantastic. That's the perfect villain for King to use with his dark style. Hit me up for a scoop on Batman and TM- TMNT as a DC writer. Yeah, I did hit Mark up for that scoop, but he's going to have to get back on me. So I was asking if this uh, writer he's in contact with in Nashville is working on the animated series crossover. So if he is, that would be awesome. So yeah. <laughs> Mark can give us some inside scoops yeah. on that story. That would be sweet. <laughs> So, my questions. Uh, Marvel has done a good job with their Star Wars comics. What property can DC use to make a new series to help uh, world build a current slash old property? I wish we could have uh, Lord of the Rings comics to build off, off of stories, but I agree with Tim that it won't ever happen. The other ones I can think of is Game of Thrones or The Matrix. Yeah, I think we said this before where Lord of the Rings would be my top pick. There's so much stories they can do there they own it so <laughs> why couldn't they and the matrix eh, i'm kind of not interested in that story than what we got in the movies and now just getting into game of thrones yeah there'd be so much stuff <laughs> they could do with that too but that has the potential to be done in as other series too so for some of the big events that happened in the past of that story i'd like to see it in a tv show other than a comic but i'm sure they could do other cool stories in there too so I think those would be the big ones that they have the power to do. Because I could say, you know, do it like Indiana Jones comic would be awesome, but that would be on the Marvel side, so yeah. it wouldn't necessarily be DC. 
definitely Game of Thrones would be really good. Um, Westworld, another HBO show, would be really good, um, especially because it's a theme park mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, hmm. Yeah, probably Lord of the Rings to build out. I mean, there's just so many stories. How have they not done that yet? <laughs> do a Lord of the Rings comic. Maybe there's issues with the Tolkien family and getting that done, but yeah. it seems like it'd be a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, hmm. You see, I I know Mark is a Alien fan. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the Alien movie franchise, but I'm not sure quite how that would work. Yeah, <laughs> just I don't more know. Alien and Predator uh, stuff, <laughs> or Batman and the Aliens. Yeah, you just fought them before. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I guess something like that. Um, the Matrix, I'm not sure because um, I think there's already been comic books that tie into the movies and stuff. So um, I think there would be have to be another movie for for uh, there to be more yeah. Matrix comics or for DC to to do more Matrix comics. Um, so yeah, uh, his second question is. What cub would you steal for base for your baseball team? Um, any, any, <laughs> because uh, the the Athletics don't really have a lot of. I don't know how Good to say players. This, uh, <laughs> uh, players, <laughs> any of them. I don't care if it's your your, your bullpen catcher. We'll take them. <laughs> um, wow. The the starting pitcher or the bullpen pitcher lowest on the depth <laughs> chart is, would be would be better than uh, some of the stuff I saw last season. Oh man, so, that's just sad. But if I had to, say, yeah. and if I just had to pick one of Cub player, but you're right, there's so many good ones. And the Yankees did get a good prospect for yeah. our overall this Chapman, so hopefully that pans out. But I would love to have Chris Bryant. He's a great hitter. He's shown it that he can hit in big spot this postseason. And he's a pretty good defender too, but I think he did he lead the league in home runs this year in the National League? I'm not sure. He had a good amount of home runs and RBIs, and yeah. he's in the MVP talk. So I'd love to have Chris Bryant because the Yankees don't really have a solid third baseman. They have Chase Headley, who's an older player and doesn't give them that much production. So if they were to have a third baseman like Chris Bryant, <laughs> that would be awesome. I remember watching uh, Chris. I think it was Chris Bryant. Um, his first major league at bat. It's like it's funny how when a player maybe does bad as a first at bat, they end up having you know, a good career doing good and rookies who like homer on their first at bat or whatnot struggle. Look at Jason yeah. Hayward, he's his first at bat hit a home run no. he's doing awful for the Cubs right now or pretty much this whole season. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um he, yeah, he he struck on him three uh, three pitches his first at bat I think, but but I mean he's proven to be a really really good yep. baseball player, really good hitter. Um, what is your favorite Mexican dish, Tim? Well, usually when I go to Mexican restaurants, I just keep it simple: get a taco, enchiladas, and their rice. So enchiladas and tacos are always my yeah. go-to. It's probably generic, but yeah, <laughs> that's what I like. I was about to say my favorite is uh, definitely enchiladas. Uh, 
And his last question is, two things you're loving about DC Rebirth. Well, there's a lot of things, which is awesome to say, but if I had to pick just two, the new the team dynamic in Detective Comics, which we've raved about so much, which is so awesome, and the fact that I'm getting and loving two Superman comic books again, which I haven't been able to say in a long time. And Action Comics and Superman both continue to be really, really good, and I'm loving that, that I'm able to say that about Superman comics again. So those are my two favorite things about DC Rebirth. Um, I definitely agree with you for the, or with the team for uh, DC comics. And the second would just be good stories. (laughs) Um, Good stories that that don't have major changes in them, major, you know, uh, events tied to them. It's, It's just good uh, self-contained stories between, I mean, in each book. You know, we, we have uh, the Detective Comics story, and then we have uh, the Wonder Woman story, and then we have, you know, uh, Batman story, the, the Batman story, and we have All-Star Batman story, the All-Star mm-hmm. Batman story. So for me, it would just be great stories that don't have these big changes attached to it, these big universe-changing stories to it, where it's just self-contained it's it's realistic. It's it's not some big story that you have to buy, you know, all these separate other issues to get the whole story. It's just you gotta if you if you wanna know the detective comic story, it's detect all you have to do is buy detective comics. Mm. You know? It's 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 more it's it's more about building a great foundation before you start doing these big um these big stories, which I think the new 52, it didn't find its footing and it tried to do too, too much too fast. And that's where it kind of lost me and, um, yep. other <laughs> a lot of readers. <laughs> so, yeah. So for me, it's that they're not necessarily doing smaller stories. What they're doing is they're letting the creative teams focus on their mm-hmm. story not having to worry about Scott Snyder's story or, you know, how it ties into his story or, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, that that's definitely the biggest plus of DC Rebirth. Yeah, I mean, they did a little bit with the Monster Men's thing we just had right now, but it was really just self-contained in three Batman books. It wasn't like five other <laughs> titles it yeah, went to. And it yeah, was really brief. only six parts. It was really brief. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly. like six months of comics. <laughs> yeah. It was, <laughs> it was really brief and you know, if you didn't want to read it, you're not missing anything. Um, so, yeah, d- definitely what I said. I mean, like I said, it's it's definitely the smaller stories, um, the self-contained stories that uh, are the biggest plus of the DC Rebirth. Um, but he he ends this email by saying, anyways, have a great week, guys, and Chelsea blows. Well, Mark, I mean, I should... Yeah, because I didn't know what that reference meant, but uh, I figured it was something between you two. <laughs> yeah, me and Mark are uh, fans of uh, the English okay. Premier League uh, soccer, and uh, he likes uh, Arsenal, uh, and uh, I like Chelsea, and they're they're okay. pretty much rivals, right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'll just leave that at that. And uh, I will say, who is the only London club that has won the Champions League. <laughs> I'm going to guess it's Chelsea. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask, who, who, what is, who is the better team? 
Um, this year and last year probably are so, but <laughs> I will never admit that. So, so cut that out, Tim. <laughs> Sorry, the whole world is going to hear your betrayal of Chelsea. <laughs> oh, no. No. Um, but yeah, thank you, Mark, for your email. Um, you're two for two, and the Cubs yeah. have been winning, like like you like we've you've yeah, said. You on keep sending them in if the Cubs are going to win the so, World Series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so two weeks from now. Send in that third email, and Cubs will win the World Series. Um, but yeah, th- thank you guys for your email. We always enjoy uh, reading them, and we always have fun with them. That's for sure. Uh, so keep sending them in, and uh, now we can get onto our comic book reviews. Um, for this episode, we're reviewing Detective, Detective Comics number nine forty two, All Star Batman number three, uh, Batman number nine, and Wonder Woman number eight. Um, and I should say beforehand that I think there's something wrong with my DC Comics app on my phone. So I couldn't read my comics this this. Uh, What's happening? This like, week, load this or? Um, no, I couldn't buy anything from it. Huh. Um, yeah, you know where it says the price, yeah. and you click on the price, and uh, you got to enter your Apple uh-huh. ID or whatever. Um, the the price thing. It, it just kept on saying really? loading. Uh, yeah, so I could. All I bought was Wonder Woman number eight, but I couldn't download it. Well, that's like it doesn't so, need an update or anything, did it? Yeah. I don't think so. Let me. See. You know, that's a good <laughs> point, Tim. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't even. No, it did. There's no. There's no update. Hmm. So. Yeah. I don't know. He's got to go back to buying physical copies again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, like we say at the beginning of every episode, I mean, at the end of every, I mean, at the beginning <laughs> of every, <laughs> every comic book review uh, section, it, um, if you haven't read your books, you're going to want to come back to this part later because we're going to spoil a lot of these books, all of these books. So, yeah, I've been read your books. Come back to this part later. Um, and our rating scale for this episode is going to be emails that Mark has to send in for the Cubs to win the World Series. So hopefully it's not going to be too much, but because <laughs> they just need a five more wins to win it all. Yeah. All right. So I guess uh, I'll go ahead and start off with yeah. Detective Comics number 942, which concludes the night of the Monster Man story. And kind of like you said, Dane, when we were talking about the crossover, I mean, it was short. It was his own self-contained thing. And this issue was, you know, a fitting conclusion to it. Um, it finally starts with Batman confronting Dr. Hugo Strange. And there's the biggest monster of them all. Because, <laughs> like, all of them, the monsters that were unleashed combined into this big one. So Batwoman, Nightwing, Spoiler, and Orphan have to go take it out while Batman confronts Hugo Strange. And it's funny when... Batwoman, Nightwing, Orphan, and Spoiler, they were going to these separate Wayne Towers to get in there. And they were on a Power Rangers theme for this episode, I guess. It made me think, okay, are they going to go all Power Rangers and get into their own building? Because that's what it looked like. Like the Power Rangers get into the Zords or Voltron pilots get into their Lions. They have their own building and each one lights up with their symbol on it, which looked pretty cool. And part of me thought, okay, are they going to go super out there 
and have these buildings form into these mech robots <laughs> where they're going to combine into this one big mech to fight this monster. Part of me thought they were going to go that way, but they did it. It just turned out these buildings that they were on had these guns to it gun turrets and they were able to defend against the monster with their different weapons that they had on there so they didn't go that far out which i think probably was for the best but batman confronts hugo strange and i really like the sequence that batman and the conversation that they had in hugo strange he's dressed up as batman he's sitting on a, it's like almost an iron throne but it's made of the books <laughs> which i thought looked pretty cool and he's telling batman how He's the only one fit to be the true Batman that Gotham City needs. Batman is flawed by the way he tried to show him with the monsters uh, being symbols and signs of Batman's persona, like feeling guilt, his ego, being like a child. So all those were to show those Batman's weaknesses and Hugo Strange is like, he's the only one who's perfect enough to be Batman. So that's what he's going to do. This was his plan all along. And Batman keeps telling him, you know, to stop talking kind of he's saying that to know that hugo strains won't show up and batman can't touch him because his suit is rigged that if it's touched i think of somewhere like it would cause an explosion where he, they all would die so uh hugo strange keeps talking and nightwing figures out how to stop that big monster going thinking of the clues that hugo strange left and he jumps in head on into the mouth of the monster and takes out uh one of the smaller monsters that's the child uh version uh, that Hugo Strange identified as one of Bruce's personality takes it out and the whole gigantic monster combusts and just blows up because it needed that portion of it. And Dick gives the explanation to Batwoman at the end the reason why because he was saying uh, he's, the sessions that revealed his intentions saw grief, fear, manipulation, and ego which represents uh, or he says which would come from a child and that's why he took it out and it ended up destroying the monster. And the way Batman defeated Hugo Strange in the midst of their conversation, Hugo Strange, like you would see him cough, having a hard time talking, and then it, it just realizes to him that he's having trouble breathing, and it gets revealed that Clayface, in an awesome-looking panel, just covering the whole building with himself in mud, just making it hard to breathe for Hugo Strange. And Batman's been through worse. He's saying, you know, I, I could <laughs> breathe through this a lot longer than you can. And so he takes out Strange pretty easily. It wasn't that much of a fight, but it was in typical Batman fashion, you know, letting the villain think they're win, uh, egging them on to keep talking so it would be harder for him to breathe and for them to eventually go unconscious. So it was a fitting plan, but I just thought the main issue with Night of the Monster Man, the whole monster aspect of it went on for a little too long out of the six-part story. I would have liked it if Hugo Strange played more of a factor into it instead of this final issue and very briefly in the very first part. If it was spread out a little bit, when maybe the first three parts were them dealing with monsters and then the last three were Batman dealing with Hugo Strange, I think that would have been better because I did like the Hugo Strange stuff. It just didn't last that long. So the issue concludes with the Justice League help repairing Gotham City and then Batwoman and Bat Batman at the gravestones for those four inmates who Hugo Strange used to turn into monsters and just saying what they're going to do next. And so that's where the issue ends. And that's it for Night of the Monster Man. So kind of like the series in general. I thought it was good, not great. So I'm going to give Detective Comics 942 three and a half out of five emails that Mark needs to send for the Cubs to win the World Series. That's still a lot of emails. <laughs> yeah. Better get ready, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, next up is going to be All-Star Batman number 3 and I just continue to have a fun time reading this story. Just 
so much fun. Good action, great seeing the villains, and the art by John Romita Jr. is just really good. And this issue I really liked because it gave us a little more history with Batman or Bruce and Harvey Dent as kids, which is something we haven't seen too much. You know, in the animated series, they were old college buddies, but in this story, their relationship goes even further than that as kids. And I like the backstory that, I, that we got with it. But it starts off, there's a little flashback sequence with them as kids just lying on a grass field and Harvey Dent talking about Bruce about this new lens that gives you the technology to see whatever you want. And then it just, as we see a shot of them just laying on the grass looking at the sky, the next page is them just laying on the floor all bloodied and beaten up because the KG Beast is, has attacked their transport and he's going to finish the job to kill Batman. And we get a pretty cool but brutal fight sequence with KG Beast taking out these police officers and then Batman getting his bat knuckles ready and, and going to blow to blow with the KG Beast. And I always liked the costume that KGB's had, and this is a pretty good modification of it. I always liked his mask. So seeing him go against Batman was cool. And he looks like he has Batman and Two-Face right where he wants him. He's about to give the finishing blow, but then a truck just rams him from behind and just takes him out. And it's Duke in his costume, which I have to say, his costume is growing on me. I, I like his helmet and the yellow. Yellow is one of my least favorite covers, but I'm starting to get used to it now on Duke. So he goes in, and then we get... Uh, the symbols of music playing, heavy metal music coming from his car, which I thought was interesting, but then it turns out in a conversation he has with Batman later was that uh, it turns out this band that he's listening to were former inmates of Arkham who were rehabilitated, and it kind of proves to Duke that there are people who can be fixed, reclaim their lives and do what they want to do, and Batman's asking, well, like, what's their name? And, or Duke tells them, hey, you can check out their name right here. And it's Batman's, then a bunch of expletives, <laughs> like the symbols to show that it's an expletive that Batman just goes, that's not very funny. But there was a little comedical moment that I thought was pretty cool. So uh, Duke takes, oh, before I move on to that, KGB gets up and we see the Royal Flesh Gang fly over him on a big giant card but it's the Royal Flesh Gang that's from Batman Beyond, the exact same designs that King, Queen, Ace, Jack and Ten are, and I thought that was a little nice touch. Not only that it's the Royal Flesh Gang, but it's the Batman Beyond version of the Royal Flesh Gang, but it was just a cameo as KGB throws this bomb and blows up the car and just takes them all out, so they didn't really do anything, but I like seeing them there. So, Duke takes uh, Batman and Harvey to the secret uh, location that they have, where we finally get to see Harold again. Harold, who, you know what, I don't remember if he was brought into the New 52. If he was, I don't remember, probably because he wasn't a large didn't play a large part of it, but really my last memory of Harold is being in Hush and being in, being killed by betraying Batman, which is always a shame because I always like Harold as a character. And this one, where he is a mute and he does have the hunchback, so it is kind of going to that classic design and the characterization of Harold that I like. And he's able to talk through this device uh, that's kind of like this robotic device that allows you to hear what he's saying. So it was cool, and I'm glad that Harold's back being recognized as someone who makes Batman's equipment and helps him out there. So I like that he's being brought back. And this is where we get the story of Bruce telling Duke his history with Harvey Dent, how uh, Bruce as a kid, you know, he was back then obsessed with, you know, trying to kill the person who killed his parents and even uh, practice with phony guns. And Alfred was getting concerned. So we sent him to this like real rehabilitation home for kids. That used to be his own, the old Arkham house where it could help trouble kids. It was just there for the summer. And that's where he met Harvey as a kid. And, Harvey had a rough father who was a politician but would uh, abuse Harvey really badly. And we kind of get the re- story for this version of where his coin comes from is where uh, his father would have the coin and he'd 
say to Harvey as a kid, how did you go back to sleep? Tails, we have some fun. We know what fun means, which is him abusing him, which, you know, pretty tragic backstory for Harvey to go through. And it was cool that uh, we learned this, that this is where the relationship started from. Two kids with bad (laughs) tragedies in their past that got to know each other. And Bruce said that going to that house really changed his outlook and he makes he thinks what would have happened if I still had that same attitude with wanting revenge and killing the murder of my parents with guns and we get this panel of what Batman could look like with this kind of almost like dead shot where he has his targeting on his mask big guns coming out <laughs> that he's holding so very different Batman could have happened if he didn't go to that home so I thought that was a nice touch and a good a backstory for Harvey and Two-Face's relationship in the story so they're transporting Harvey uh, they're trying to get him to that house. Duke kind of warns Batman that he doesn't think the antidote that they're looking for there, this cure, is going to work on Harvey. It just might make him go back. And then they get ambushed by this group of ninjas, which to me at first looked like talons, but I don't think they are. They don't really get revealed, but they're there to help Two-Face get him out. And Two-Face reveals or kind of teases toys with Batman saying, you know, what if it was me toying with you this whole time? It wasn't Harvey who told you about the secret cure. It was really me and, you know, it's just gonna it's all, it's all for nothing in a way like there is no cure that you're after and he just starts pouring this tube of acid on batman's cow and he doesn't miss it goes on there and batman screams at agony and that's where the issue ends so but then we get the back of with duke's story of the him and his training trying to find, figure out this case with zaz and this woman who we let go and then we get a flash the best part of it is him getting the flashback with his mother knowing how there's his parents in the state they're in because of the Joker Tonkin. I love getting the insight to how Duke's life was as a child and his parents and how he had good parents who were trying to protect them. So that was good. The whole main story with Batman and Two-Face continues to be good. So I'm still enjoying the heck out of All-Star Batman. I'm going to give this one four out of five emails that Mark has to send for the Cubs to win the World Series. So looks like Mark's email tally is going to keep growing as they review these comics. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're up to Batman number nine. We're starting the I Am Suicide story arc. And, you know, uh, I I didn't think the I Am Gotham story was the greatest ever. I thought it was good, but not great. It had its moments. So I'm looking forward to see what Tom King does with this next art. And this issue is off to a good start. I really enjoyed it. I, I know Mark mentioned how he's looking forward to this Bane story. And he's only in it at the beginning. But it was a really cool start. It was a cool intro to Bane. We just pretty much see a flashback of him as a child in Santa Prisca. And I liked how the first four panels show him at his different age. And he's narrating saying, I was four again. We see him at age four. I was 10. We see him as 10 eating a rat. I was 14. We see him about to go into this water in his prison. Then he goes, I was 21. We see him trying to make his escape out of Santa Prisca, or not even his escape, just he's underwater with nowhere to go. He's just trapped in there, and just how he's trying all these different things to make this life stop. Like he kept saying, I went, I tried God, I tried the devil, I tried my mother's ghost, rest her soul, I begged them all, just let me surrender, like end this, but but it didn't happen. And then I like how after that it progresses, he goes back in time where we see him as 21, 14, 10, then as four as a little kid. Then we see him in the present where he's sitting on this mountain of skulls uh, with the psycho pirate telling him how he turned to venom and then, but he stopped using it. And now he's turning to the psycho pirate because we know that was the exchange he made with Hugo Strange for this venom. And he's telling the psycho pirate to make him happy, make him brave, tell me I can always stop. So psycho pirate's going to be messing with Bane. And this is it for Bane in the issue, but I'm just so curious to find out 
how Bane is going to be under Psycho Pirate's influence and without Venom. This could be a different Bane than we've seen before, but at the same time, I think it could be a very cool one. So I'm glad they're tying it into his origins at the prisoner in Santa Prisca. I thought that was good. And then we move on to Bruce with Claire, Gotham girl who's still under the Psycho Pirate's effects, and Batman's just staying with her as she's in, just sitting there in bed saying, I don't feel good, I don't feel good. And then just Bruce is looking helpless, like he wants to help her, but there's nothing he can do. I just love how he turns to the picture of his parents behind him. He just looks at him, kind of, and he just turns back to Claire saying, I know, I know. <laughs> just like, he knows they're watching him and they want to stop her suffering. So that was a nice little touch that I like. So Bruce tells Alfred he's going away, tells uh, him to be with her, him and Duke to be with Claire at all times, not to leave her alone. And that just that I'm going to, I'm going to help her, he says. Just tell her I'm coming back, and I'll, I'll promise to help her. And so he goes to Arkham, which is a great splash page. <laughs> we see just a stormy night, Batman walking to the gates of Arkham. How else can you enter Arkham without it be raining? <laughs> it wouldn't have the same effect. So as uh, Jordan mentioned in his email, we see Batman recruiting his new team. And what I liked about this issue, it kept me guessing, oh, who's Batman going to recruit next? His first one was Arnold Wesker, the original ventriloquist, which is someone I haven't seen or read before in a long in a long time in a Batman comic, so it was good to have him back. And then, like I said, who's Batman going to get next? We get these teases of these panels of as he walks by different cells. We see Kite Man. We see the Tweedledee and Tweedledum. We see uh, Calendar Man. Uh, so little teases is like makes you think is batman gonna go that one is he gonna go this one and then dr arkham is telling him you can only have this certain amount i won't let you have this one you can't like you can have the spy the clown girl but you can't have this one so he's telling him what batman can and can't do but batman's not gonna have it he's gonna take whatever (laughs) version or what criminal he thinks is best for his team so the next one he goes to is bronze tiger which is a character i know batman has worked with in the past and i think Raven the Bold used him for some actually really cool episodes of Batman teaming up with Bronze Tiger. So I like that they're bringing him back. And they have this little fight sequence where Bronze Tiger actually gets the best of Batman, which I don't know, didn't necessarily like seeing, but okay, he proves that he could be go toe-to-toe with Batman. He'll be good as a member of the team. And you could tell right away that him and Batman already have a relationship. He goes, it's too, been too long, rich boy. So he knows who he is. And they kind of have this mutual respect for each other, it looks like. But I'm not sure why he's in Arkham. I'm not sure if there was a story I missed or whatnot, or I'm not remembering in one of the other Batman New 52 storylines that happened. So I'm not sure, but it wasn't a big deal. That, But I like how he's being recruited. And then we get a moment where Batman is with uh, Julie, but he's actually there to bring out her boyfriend, Punch, to join his team. And then uh, he kind of says he's he's been in Santa Prisca, but uh, we flushed him out. And then he turns to Gordon. Gordon's been with him the whole time. And Gordon goes, really? And Batman just punches Gordon. And it turns out that that's been this villain punch the whole time. So a little twist there that I didn't see coming, but it was a nice reveal. Batman recruits him. But then the big one, as Jordan said in the email, is Catwoman is the final member of Batman's Suicide Squad. And when I first got to that point where he did said the opening line of The Killing Joke, where he goes, I've been thinking lately about you and me, kind of made me think, oh, are they getting the Joker for this? I don't think they're going to do that, but why is he saying that line? But then the dialogue changes as he goes along the conversation, and Catwoman's wearing this mask, or Selina is, where you can't tell it's her. So I was guessing as who this could be before the mask is taken off, and it is revealed that it's Selina. And I do like that it's Selina will be with Batman as his team and just seeing them work together. But 
it's been a while since I read some really good Catwoman stuff since the new 52. So this could be it where we can finally get a good Catwoman story and with her working with Batman and not his adversary. So I'm excited about that potential and this group that Batman is setting up. My only question is, why is she in Arkham? Selina isn't really one who goes to Arkham. She goes to prison. She's not really insane. But again, having kept up with the Catwoman stories since the New 52, way early on in the New 52. So I'm not sure what put her there. I'm sure there is a story reason for it. But regardless, I'm happy she's on the team. So I am Suicide Squad. Got off to a good start. I like how Batman was recruiting his inmates in the getting had that guessing game of who's he going to get who's he not going to get so i really liked it and i can't wait to see what they're going to do with bane so i'm going to give batman number nine four out of five emails that mark has to send uh, for the cups to win the world series uh, so he is doing good with uh with so bane. far yep i like okay. that little introduction we got to him so they can keep it up you know bane's kind of in the same boat as catwoman where we haven't had a great bane story in a while so hopefully this could provide that yeah. as well not only that, Mr. Freeze, too. I was just thinking about it, Mr. Yeah, well, Freeze. it's even longer for me because really... you like the annual story. And I didn't... <laughs> no, you remember you said only you liked that it. Year. For a whole year, Tim. <laughs> Stinking Royals let me down. My World Series pick this year better not let me down. <laughs> but anyway, the last one we're going to review this episode is Wonder Woman number eight. And we're this one's kind of a side issue where it's not taking place in the year one timeline or the current timeline, but we're actually kind of giving a, a backstory for Barbara Ann Cheetah. And this is a pretty cool issue. Uh, I like as much as this uh, rebirth is doing good stuff with Wonder Woman. I think it's doing just as great stuff with Cheetah. Just how she, she was characterized in the live storyline, just how she was a, very compelling tragic character and what she had to go through and the more we get her backstory the more you feel and get invested in that character and this is what that issue did because it's telling how she's looking for the locations of the amazons but no one's really believing her and it starts off with her as a kid where her teacher like her father's telling their teacher you know she has to stop uh studying this nonsense of like greek history in the amazon she needs to grow up focus on the more important thing but this teacher is all you know she's really smart in this subject i mean <laughs> understanding mythology it's like she it is a, a valid education to have but her father doesn't think so and he wants her to stop but that's because we see her as a kid playing with a sword and shield and he takes it from her just throws it in the fire and it's almost like a peter pan thing with wendy saying her father telling you have to grow up <laughs> so then we get her into the present where she's on this ex- expedition to find more clues about uh, where the, the Amazons are. And she finds this cave that looks like it's a resting place of one of the queens, but it caves in. So she didn't have the proof. She took photos of it, but it wasn't really enough. So she doesn't have that much to go on. But then we see someone, she's in this bar after that event, and someone steals her phone, trying to use it for himself as she had maybe once a little too many drinks and wasn't able to keep up so someone stole her phone and she's able to track them down and we get this little indiana jones montage moment of her traveling to different cities of where uh not only where the amazons these things are located but where this person who stole her phone is and like the only clue is is trying to think of what exactly what it was it's she's trying to find out where they went not necessarily where they were then she gets to this location uh, that's I believe it's in Tunisia, where she sees the person who stole her phone just dead on the floor, and this woman and her daughters are like old woman who's like a peasant is telling them they were not they came and they were not welcome, they followed the wrong way, 
and she's telling Barbara Ann that you followed the wrong way too. Like you shouldn't go on this path. So Barbara Ann realized then where it's not where they went, it's where they came from. That's where she has to go to find the Amazons. And when she says that, the old woman and this young girl turns into, you know, an owl, like a celestial owl, kind of like the animals we saw comes to Wonder Woman cell, what makes it look like, you know, she's one of the ancient gods. And she has a smile on her face, so it looks like Barbara Ann is on the right track, where she has to go where they came from, not where they are. So she gets someone to take her out on a boat at sea, and there she sees the mascara, the paradise island in the ocean. She goes there, she's excited, she's saying it's not a myth, it's real, but if it's real... Where are the Amazons? <laughs> There's no, nobody there. So that's where the issue ends. She's thinking to herself, she still went the wrong way. But we know it looks like she did find it, and she is on the right path, judging by the smile of that old woman. But I'm curious to see how much more we'll get of Barbara Ann, because our next issue is going to continue with the lie storyline, and then we're going to get part four of year one. So even if this is it, a quick little one-off for Barbara Ann. I think it was cool knowing about her childhood, how her father had some strict rules and how she was to continue her education, but she still kept with her passion of the Amazon and Greek mythology and made that her career, and knowing how it eventually leads her to becoming Cheetah. So cool backstory for Barbara Ann, a good little side issue for Wonder Woman. So I'm going to give this one three and a half out of five emails that Mark needs to send for the Cubs to win the World Series. How was the art on that one? Dumb. <laughs> you know, it's like the art is so good on all these issues is that it's kind of yeah. my. It's bad to say, but I kind of don't mention it because it's just a given type of thing. But I should give credit to the art right. because it is really good, as always. Yeah, good, good. Um, so that's pretty much it for this yep, episode, right, it. Tim? All right, so just go over to BatmanUniverse.net on Facebook, Facebook, at com slash BatmanUniverse. On Twitter, Twitter handle is at BatmanUniverse. If you want to email the show, you can email the show at BatfansWithoutPants at gmail.com. And if you want to follow Tim and I, Tim and I, <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Tim's Twitter handle is at TimG3. We were always going to go one one one. But you went I'll through the last yeah, minute. Gonna, was, <laughs> yeah. And my Twitter handle is at Dane Says Banana. So with that, oh, and if you want to follow the show on Twitter, this show's Twitter handle, Twitter handle is at Bad Fans Podcast. So with that, we'll see you guys next time. No, right, Dane, you didn't, you didn't say your catchphrase. Oh, <laughs> How can oh you my, this oh, I forgot, I forgot. Oh, yes. how can I forget, Tim? <laughs> um... As we say at the end of every, as we say at the end of every, episode, almost not this one though. <laughs> Tim, yeah, almost not this one. Tim, if you ever feel alone in this world, just know that Tim and Dane do in fact care about you. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> uh, we'll let we'll let this one be a little uh, unconventional with the ending. <laughs> Wasn't our typical yeah. ending. Tim and Tim and Dane do in fact we'll care about you, right, Tim? All of us. That's that. See you guys next time. Is it like you leave and start starting?